early in my career, I got a, a dose of truth that I did not appreciate. It kind of forced me to eat some humble pie, if you will. And no, I didn't get any whipped cream, so it did not go down easy. My friend and mentor, Andrew Davis, who I think is one of the world's best speakers and marketing minds, Andrew Davis, who has been on this show several times before, he told me that people will fall in love with the format before they fall in love with you, the talent. I didn't love hearing that. I never really understood it either. What do you mean? With a show, with a newsletter, people fall in love with the format before they fall in love with the talent. So if you don't have a relationship with a creator, with the voice, with the author behind the book, with the speaker on the stage, with the creator of the podcast, the host of the podcast, the writer of the newsletter, people will bump up against the idea driving the project and the experience of it. That will then inform their relationship to it. And as they commit more time to it, they get to know you. I never really truly understood that until I had to create a format for an early version of Unthinkable. Because what I did there was start with the format. Instead of thinking about all the parts and pieces that I contributed, I went to, what if I had to hand this show to somebody else? What is the repeatable episode rundown? And I had no idea. I knew I wanted to tell stories. I knew I wanted this to be something about creativity and content and storytelling. And the word resonance was rattling around somewhere in the recesses of my brain. And I had no idea how to execute it. But it's the execution that people fall in love with first before they fall in love with the talent. Okay, having choked down that piece of humble pie handed to me by Andrew Davis, I went, well, who is my favorite storyteller? And if you've listened to this show and you've followed me around the internet, you know that the answer is Anthony Bourdain, the late, great Anthony Bourdain. So I watched his travel show, Parts Unknown, on CNN, Notebook at the Ready, and I documented what I thought he and his team were doing to me, the viewer, block by block, beat by beat, literally scratching it out. Okay, from second this to second that, minute this to minute that. For two minutes, they did this. They raised the stakes. They asked some open-ended questions, or they immersed me in a little moment, and then the opening credits hit. And then the first moment, we visited a local, and the local helped us understand what happens in this location. Then we met a guide in a different location. The guide, unlike the local, helped us understand why things were happening the way they were. So we got the what, we got the why, we're forming an opinion of this location that we're in with Bourdain, and then he messes with it, right? And I went block by block, beat by beat, second by second, trying to rip out the format, trying to understand what was happening to me that was causing me to fall in love with this experience. Because if I arrived having no clue who this person was, absolutely, I would have fallen in love with Bourdain. But it's Bourdain stepping into a vehicle. I see newsletters, I see shows, I see really any created project less like content and more like super suits that you're constructing, tailoring them around you. And just like when you see Iron Man flying through the sky or Spider-Man swinging through the city, you look at that and you see the suit. Before you meet the person inside. So even though I'm bumping up against Bourdain's words and even his image, I'm really seeing him in his super suit. And I needed one of my own. By the way, this is what I do with my coaching clients. I help authors and experts and other big thinkers craft shows for their businesses. But I tell them, look, I don't make podcasts. I build super suits. So I needed one of my own. And with that notebook at the ready, I launched Unthinkable. And here we are, years later, hundreds of episodes later, and one very 
smart and attractive listener later. Thank you for listening to the show, by the way. So that exercise is one I have repeated for almost all of my projects. I call it performing an extraction. I try to extract the rundown, the structure, the flow, because they fall in love with the format before they fall in love with the talent. It's not enough to be smart, charming, witty, funny, attractive. You need your very own super suit. And today, that's all we're talking about. We're talking about the idea of building a super suit, the format driving the work. They fall in love with that first. And though it can pain me to admit it, it's certainly driven my career forward. And I'd like to hand that back to you. It's tricky to admit and humbling. It's unthinkable how creators trust themselves more than best practices and blueprints. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I want you to make the leap from what conventional thinking says you have to do to what your intuition is urging you to try. Each episode, we share stories and frameworks from creative professionals who did something refreshing or different, something unconventional that the everyday expert would never recommend. The thing is, it's only unthinkable until you hear their side of the story. And this story involves Hugh Gary. Hugh is the co-founder and director of Story Things. He's also a strategist and executive producer who's been developing award-winning digital, video, and audio content, and the formats they're in, for over 25 years. Hugh is obsessed with formats even more than me. He runs a newsletter of the same name, which explores every edition, a different format found in different media, different content from different creators. And he's also a former DJ. In a previous life, I used to be a club DJ. And, you know, my job was to play record after record after record. And until I started doing it, that's kind of what I thought DJs did. And it wasn't until I was faced with the challenge of, I used to have my own club and I was a resident. I, we never had guest DJs. So my sets were six hours long every Saturday night. So when you're in that kind of situation, you have to think of, well, how do you structure the night? And without wanting to get too highfalutin on what a DJ set is, I did try to think of it as like a story or a flow or I did try to give it some sort of structure. And so I had to put myself in the mindset of, of my audience and try to understand, okay, how do I want people to feel at this time? Or how do they want to feel at this time? How do they want to feel at you know the middle of the night? And how do they want, want them to feel at the end? The end was always about peak end experience. Doesn't matter what happens at the beginning or the middle of something. If you leave people with a bad end experience, that's what they remember the most. If they have a terrible experience in the middle, but have a brilliant experience at the end, that's what they'll remember, that peak, you know, end experience. There's an important concept we need to learn here as storytellers, the primacy and recency effect. This states that the first moment, primacy, and latest or last moment, recency, that we experience with something, like content, forms our opinion and our memory. It cements that memory and how you felt about it in your brain. So we ought to overinvest in making really great intros and really great outros because as the primacy and recency effects explain to us, the psychology is in our favor. The science dictates that that's why people really remember you. The club was my club. And so I then took it another level, another level and thought, how do I structure the night before people get to the club? And so I started putting entertainers out on the street so that when they came around the corner and they could see the club in the distance, 
they were getting excited because they were seeing all these crazy drag queens dressed up and people doing crazy things. And it was building this anticipation and this excitement for them before they even got into the club. The ending was about, even after the last record played, I wanted to think about, well, how do people take their memories home with them? And in the UK as a child, there used to be this, this kind of kids show called, it was an animated show called Mr. Ben. And Mr. Ben, every day would get up, he'd wear a bowler hat and a suit, and he would go to a local fancy dress shop, and he would try on the fancy dress outfit. Let's imagine it's a spaceman's outfit. And as he would walk out of the changing room, he would be in space, and he would have this adventure on space. And then after 10 minutes, the shopkeeper would come and say, time's up. Anyway, he would return his outfit, he would go back home in his bowler hat, and as he would get to the front door, he would put his hand in his pocket to take out a key, and he would find something in there, and he would take it out, and it might be something like a space rock or something, and he would remember his experience. And that just always resonated with me as a, ch- as a child. So when I was running the club, the very last thing we did was gave things out. On the very first night at night, I went around all the florists on Saturday and bought up all the last flowers that were going to die over the weekend really cheaply. And we gave them out. So people would take them home and friends would visit and they'd say, where did you get the flowers? And they'd say, oh, I went to this new club at the weekend. It was great. So we would all give these crazy things out for people to take home so that they would stick on the walls, they would stick on the ceilings. We used to leave things around for people to steal because we knew people would take them away. And I remember going to a party one time and there was a guy who used to have this party every week and his party trick was he had a pair of skis on the roof and everyone would turn him upside down and strap him into the skis. So he would hang upside down. He stole the skis from our club, which we'd left lying around so that he could steal the skis so that people could tell that story of it. That is where my whole structure of stories really started, really thinking about it as being stories have to be really, really considered and structured for them to have the maximum impact. So as he continued his DJing, he also began to work in broadcasting, ending up at the BBC in 1995. And broadcast journalism, broadcast media, anything broadcast to the world, as you might suspect, is steeped in this idea of nailing the format. Formats were very much a part of TV and radio's world. You cannot reinvent the wheel every single week and create a whole new TV show. So formats are a very, very important part of radio. You have to have a structure to a show that is going to return either the next day or the next week. In 2011, Hugh left the BBC and along with his friend, fellow broadcast colleague Matt Locke, they co-founded Story Things, where they started to work with clients to shape more impactful stories. But they also uncovered a common frustrating theme across those they worked with. And we started working with a bunch of clients who were working in the charity sector or arts or culture or various places. And they kind of thought in terms of campaigns. They thought very much about one-off campaigns where they would invest a lot of money into a big campaign and they'd spend three to six months working on it. They would invest all this money in it and the campaign would come to an end and it would feel like a full stop. And we'd be sat there thinking, well, what do we do next with this audience that we've built up? What do we do next with all this goodwill? What do we do next with this thinking? When we work with clients, the very first thing that they do is they come to me and say, I want to make a podcast or they want to make the thing that they want to see because everyone else is making it. And they've not really kind of done that focused work of, first of all, understanding, you know, the very first question that we ask at Story Things is we say, okay, well, first of all, let's let's rewind. 
what is the behavior that you want to see? If you're putting this thing out into the world, what is exactly the behavior that you want to see as a result of having this thing out in the world? So once we've got a short list of behaviors, and that behavior could be anything from buy a thing or sign up to a thing or campaign against the thing, it can be any of these things. Once we've got a list, once we've got the behaviors, we then kind of look at, okay, well, who are the people that can make those behaviors happen? Okay, let's really understand who are the key people and we'll get a bunch of, you know, levels of people that can have an impact, that can make that change, that can make that behavior happen. Once we understand who those people are, then we start to think about, okay, what is the kind of media that they're consuming? What are they doing? Is it, you know, a CEO that reads reports and goes to conferences? Is it a mother who might read a, a school newsletter? Once we understand what type of content they're engaging with, that's when we can start to really begin to think of, okay, it might be a podcast here, but before we just get to that, let's start to work on the stories. One of the major reasons that format matters so much is it honors this golden rule of storytelling. Whether you're creating a podcast, writing a newsletter, giving a speech, we're so obsessed with getting people to start that experience. We're so obsessed with grabbing attention. But the golden rule is simple. Get them to the end. Why do you think I jump in periodically to narrate? Why do you think we insert moments of pause and music and just straight up musicality in how the whole experience stitches together? Why do we do open loops at the beginning and throughout? Why am I stacking question upon question upon question? Okay, yeah, no, I get it. You're like, get to the point here. But that's all in the name of the golden rule. Get them to the end. So Hugh is obsessed with formats because formats help you go beyond grabbing attention to actually genuinely hold it. And in the holding of attention, in the time spent with people, that's where you earn trust. That's where the relationship forms. So again, Hugh's obsessed with formats and good stories, but while a lot of people are obsessed with good stories and could write a newsletter about storytelling, Hugh's newsletter is only about exploring formats. And that's so specific. And I'd argue that most of us are simply not that specific in the premise of what we do, which makes it less defensible and more commodified. And that's the issue. Before we get to the format of Formats Unpacked or your love for formats at StoryThings, I did want to touch briefly on the the, the difference in premises that I see from most industry newsletters versus formats unpacked, I feel like the conventional approach to agency newsletters, personality-led, creator-led newsletters, when it's about something relating to work, even creative work, it seems to be go broad. And so the analogy I'd use is a lot of newsletters are, are very much like the next step of what bloggers have done for many years, where It's disparate pieces of content all tied together very loosely to some kind of topic or collection of topics versus an author mentality where you go really, really deep into one thing and you could lead into the best-selling big concept book about that thing. You know, it's it's a theme or a premise that you actually own outright. You went with the author mentality for this newsletter. And uh, again, you could see it transforming into a book someday or a course or, you know, whatever could spin out. It's almost like you developed IP instead of content. Why make that decision? Why go that narrow? Well, I really genuinely was just scratching my own itch because I I wanted to read more. You know, as I said, myself and Matt and you and a few other friends, we kind of understand the importance of formats and we we nerd out over them. We we really, really geek out over them. So I just wanted to find out who my community was. So I kind of started doing some searching. Trying to, basically, I wanted to find out who was much smarter than us at formats, who talked about formats in a much more interesting way than we could ever do. And so 
I did a lot of Googling and a lot of searching. And the only thing that I could really find about formats online was about how much people were selling formats for, how much franchises were being sold for, how much. It was more about the, the finances of formats rather than the actual creative content itself. And I found that really, really frustrating. And so I just thought, you know, I just want to start something myself and maybe there might be 10, 15, 20 people, but even if there's only 15, 20 people, I'm going to really enjoy nerding out with them. So I just, I did one or two, shared it with my team. They liked it and we, we, we put it online and it's a small community, but it's a, it's a growing community. And what's, what's really interesting about formats is we all take different things from different formats. It's, it's not always one thing that people love. There's, there's lots of things that people love. And that's what I like asking, you know, the, the, the goal for Formats Unpacked is to just find one piece of magic. That's all I ask of writers, just what is the one thing that makes you come back time and time again? So it genuinely was just a case of going niche because I needed to, because no one else was going to do that for me. Hugh's entire weekly newsletter centers on formats. But you might be thinking, are there really that many? Well, if you're a subscriber like I am, the answer is an undeniable yes. There are that many formats. For example, one edition talks about a podcast called After the Tone, which is a 40-minute episode that Hugh describes as a mashup. That's a pretty good format. Hello, friends, weirdos, and stalkers. Listen, before you know it, we'll be back in your ear holes with more of the usual. How about this one? The famous Red Table Talks from Jada Pinkett Smith. This is something that used to run as a Facebook Watch original, but has since sunset since Hugh wrote about it. Hey fam, I'm Jada Pinkett Smith, and this is the Red Table Talk podcast. What makes a table talk? an effective format. Hugh dissects it. Or how about this? Bargain Hunt. Bargain Hunt is a daytime TV series on BBC sometime around the lunchtime news. Every episode, two teams of two people have an hour and a budget of 300 pounds to spend at antiques markets. Kind of a challenge-like format. Okay, but maybe you're not making video for TV. Maybe you're making three to five minute YouTube videos or social media videos. Well, so does the YouTube channel. You suck at cooking. You suck at cooking. Yeah, you totally suck. What makes it magical to do a cooking tutorial in three to five minutes? You guessed it. Hugh and his collaborators, who also continually write for him, are going to dissect that with you. He's talked about ads that are parodies and how to construct great parodies, sports brackets and why the bracket format is so effective, on and on and on. Everywhere you look, whether it's the entire experience or a piece of it, you find different formats. And I didn't even get to some of the classic ones you find in podcasting, which you also goes into. Segmented episodes, long-form interviews, short-form monologues, and something like this, a narrative podcast or maybe narrative interview. So yeah, if you're wondering... There are lots and lots of formats. What is the format of Formats Unpacked, his newsletter? Okay, so the format is very, very simple. I write Formats Unpacked, and anyone who's got a format that they would like to unpack can write the Formats Unpacked. Uh, the only thing I ask them to do is stick to the format, keep it to five to eight, 800 words, and just try to really focus on the. You can talk about a few things that you think are magic, but try to focus on one big one. And we just ask uh, four questions. What's the format? So that's a very brief description of what's actually happening. The second one is, what's the magic that makes it so special? The third one is favorite episode. And the fourth one is similar formats. Those four pillars, the four things that make up his format once again, they're four questions. What's the format? What's the magic that makes it so special? 
what's the favorite episode or edition or example within this project? And then fourth, what are some similar formats out in the wild? Next, Hugh is going to dissect some of the editions and some of the examples that he really loved, starting with something called, very famously, Desert Island Discs. So Desert Island Discs is a format that, for the life of me, I don't understand why more people in the business world aren't latching onto, and I'll get to why in a second with a really great example of a podcast that has differentiated using this format. But before we get there, just explain what what is Desert Island Discs and what is the format that you that you noticed in the newsletter? So Desert Island Discs is a radio show on the BBC which has been running for 80 years. That's 80 years, which is absolutely phenomenal. Especially when you consider that the format is um, each week a celebrity or famous person or someone of note comes into the studios and the premise is they are going to live on a, they're going to be cast away to a desert island and they can only choose eight records to bring with them. Which in itself is kind of quite mind blowing when you think about what records were 80 years ago. And the reason why it's so special is because when you listen to Desert Island Discs, if you are a regular fan, it's very rare that you're going there just because you know who the guest is. You're not going there for the, the celebrity. You're just going there because you know it's going to be good. You've heard it that many times and the structure is that solid. You know exactly where it's going to lead you. And the music on Desert Island Discs, what's really interesting about the music is that the music can be really, really terrible. And you don't go to Desert Island Discs for music recommendations. You are just going there for stories because the music are hooks for the people to hang their stories on. This is what is getting the stories out of people. You know, without those song choices, they don't have reasons to tell most of the stories that they tell. But because you're connecting it with an emotion, it can, it can really, really bring out some incredible stories that you might not want to tell. There's a footballer called Ian Wright. And I've heard Ian Wright being interviewed hundreds of times in his football career. In all those times that he was interviewed, I never once heard him talking about the abuse his, his mother suffered at the hands of his father. And the reason he told that story was because he played uh, River Deep Mountain High and talked about how his, his older brother would cover his head with a blanket and put that music on really loud to, to blank out the sound of his mother and father fighting. It just takes me to a place of real anxiety. It's a horrible tune for me. I remember my brother, when my stepfather used to be really, really manhandling my mum, my brother used to cover my ears so you couldn't hear it. And when this song comes on, it just takes me back to, a, to that place. Now, you don't get those stories without that song. You don't get those, story, those kinds of stories, the richness of those stories, without Ian being brought to quite an emotional place. And that's what music does. It can bring you to a very, very special place. There's so much in there that I want to pull out. The first being I have young kids. And so show and tell a thing that children at school are asked to you know, bring a thing and talk to what is the thing. But in talking about what is the thing, out come the stories of why do you have that thing and who are you? And I think, again, there's this hesitance in the marketing world to stick to a specific, but it's in the specifics that we get 
the universals, the stories that illuminate commonalities with audiences, the insights that we want to impart to an audience, especially if it's B2B content where you're trying to teach and give advice. And most shows, most newsletters, most content, it just starts at the 30,000 foot view. And I'm saying like, get into the the dirt and the grounding of it all. And then amazing things come out of it, like with this. And the example I wanted to share was there's an author and a speaker in Canada, and he has a podcast called Three Books, and his name is Neil Pasricha. Now, Neil, he's been on this show. He started with a format that sort of grew his audience called 1000 Awesome Things, and it was a countdown. So it was a bit of a list, but it was a countdown. And it was just simple things he observed, turning the pillow to the other side where it's nice and cool. One of my favorites was the parking lot pull through. That's when you pull into a parking lot with your car and the space in front of you is free. So now you pull all the way ahead. And when you leave, you don't have to back out. You just pull out. I love that. Right? I'm like dancing in the car as I do that. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like the parking lot pull through. That's what I'm doing. So he started with formats and his show now, three books. He interviews people that you've heard a thousand times before. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell, Seth Godin, you know, these, these big names with big followings that everybody seems keen to interview. But you've never heard them like this because they're asked to bring three transformative books from any era of their life and talk about where they were in life when they encountered it, why it meant a lot to them. They pull out excerpts from it. Neil does deep research on the book and connects it to what he knows about his subject. I mean, it's incredible. And you can do that anywhere in any niche, like have them bring something. And from the specifics come these meaningful universal. Welcome to three books with Neil Pasricha, where each chapter we uncover and discuss the three most formative books of an inspiring individual. We believe books change lives. And that's why we are the only podcast in the world by and for book lovers, writers, makers, sellers, and librarians. Thanks so much for joining us. So one of the things that I love doing is finding craftspeople talking about the craft. Actors on acting, there's a wonderful Hollywood roundtable from the Hollywood Reporter YouTube channel that you can find. Comedians on comedy, I love Mike Birbiglia's podcast called Working It Out. Any craftspeople talking about the craft, I adore. And so this one is kind of like roughly in that domain, albeit it is one person talking to you and then seeing their old answers play out over time because it's Billie Eilish giving the same interview about her career one year apart for three consecutive years. So I, I just explained what the format is in this video. Why do you think this was special? Along with Desert Island Disc, I think this is one of my favorite ever formats. I mean, to be fair, it really, really helps that it's Billie Eilish, not just because she's an incredible talent, but because they've captured her at such a young age and she's still 19, 20 and she's done five of them already. The, the reason why this captured me to begin with was because on year two, you get to see the comparison. So for, for anyone who's, who's not aware, the way you see it is you see it in split screen. So you'll see last year's questions being asked and then she'll answer. And then you'll see on the right side of the screen or on the other side of the screen, you see answering the same question. But with this year's answer, so in year one, how many Instagram followers do you have? She was like 850,000, quite blown away that she couldn't believe that she's got nearly a million Instagram subscribers. Year two, I've got 2.3 million. You know, the question, who's your most famous, you know, follower? The difference between the two years are incredible. And it's, it's up to five years now. So you've got to see her growing as a person, as a celebrity, as a star in the most remarkable way. But I think the actual 
format itself is really, really unique. And I'm still looking for an opportunity to, to do something similar as a way of people wanting to be accountable to their customers, their audience, to whoever it is. Because I love, I absolutely adore long storytelling. I love these big projects. We talk to people about rhythms when we talk about formats. A format kind of has to have some sort of rhythm to a certain extent. You need to know there's going to be another one coming along, but it doesn't have to be weekly. You know, this is an annual format, which is great. I absolutely love that. Michael Apted, a famous uh, British director who sadly died last year, uh, has a format called the Up Series. And the Up Series, he started with all these kids when they were seven years old. I think it was based on this, this saying, show me a child at seven and I'll show you the adult or whatever it was. But he filmed them at seven years old and then he went back and filmed them again at 14 years old. And he went back and filmed them at 21 years old and did it all the way up until they were into their late 40s, 50s, I think. And it's just an incredible documentary of, of people's lives shot over seven years. And that is incredibly brave, but one of the greatest pieces of TV ever made. Really, really is. And it takes that kind of commitment and that, that courage to say, well, you know, I know it's a bit weird being every seven years, but just think about what we are, what we are making here. There's, there's an implied open loop and then there's a discovered open loop, like the implied open loop right away, or let's say, let's call it apparent versus discovered. Like if you're scrolling a feed at a million miles an hour, the immediately apparent open loop, the question you want answered is how will her answers differ? But then what you get is what you're talking about now with the documentary, which is a little more discovered. I start spending time with the documentary or the Billie Eilish video, it's a little more subtle there, which is, oh, I'm seeing how a person evolved. And so there's that question too. I think that's what formats do is they're, they're supposed to help you as the creator, absolutely, but also with the audience. You know, if a great premise provides motivation to subscribe, to opt in, to sample it, then I think a great format provides motivation to stay, right? I get you all the way to the end. And just to keep beating on bad podcasts for a moment, when I talk to clients about what's your format for your podcast, oh, it's a, it's an intro, an interview, and an outro. That is not a format. There's 45 minutes of the interview. Do you have a structure to the interview? What are you doing inside of it? How are you providing motivation to stay? And of course, once you start playing this video, you're immediately like, not only do I want to see the differences in answers, maybe that's across the first couple that she gives, then you start going, oh, there's a person here. I want to see the person evolve too. And I'm watching that on display. It's an incredible use of that that cliche or but but important storytelling technique of an open loop, I think. Yeah, I kind of say come for the structure and stay for the stories. They they are kind of like the meat and the bones to a certain extent. But just going back to what we were saying about watching Billy evolve and what you're expecting when you're watching it, there is something very, very playful about formats in that when you know the structure, it allows you to play the guessing game. And that's why our brains really, really love formats. Our brains like to fill in the gaps. So that's why I cover jokes on formats on packs, because when you're being told a joke, that is what your brain's doing. It's trying to get the answer and the humor is in the twist that you don't expect. You know, so when you're watching Billy, you're trying to answer her answers before she gets to say it herself. And it is giving you this really beautiful little brain tingle because that's what formats do. They give you these little brain tingles, don't they? Because you're playing along. What I find fascinating about this subject is it almost delineates between two halves of a creator's career. Maybe it happens earlier for some people. I don't know if it's like, you know, part of how many reps you've put in, how much you focus on a certain medium or type of content or domain. But there seems to be a before and after where at first 
you appreciate the whole. And so you're like, wow, I love that. I want to make that. Or I'm feeling my way through using gut feel and my taste and a combination of any number of things that you bring to bear when you create. And then all of a sudden it's like you can suddenly see the, the code of the matrix, you know, and, and in doing so you can manipulate it and do things that people might deem superhuman almost like or things that your past self could have only dreamed of creating. And I think the difference is you start to see that things have a structure to them. There's a reason that it felt that way to you. When I work with anyone, members of my Storyteller membership, the Creator Kitchen, coaching clients where I'm developing their podcast or helping them reinvent it, one of the questions that routinely comes up is me asking them, what's your format? What's your structure? What's your episode rundown? How do you ensure people get to the end? And they say something like, well, we have a this intro block of text or spoken word on a podcast or this intro segment of the episode of you know the YouTube channel. It's a five-minute intro. Then we have a 40-minute interview and a five-minute outro. That's not a format. What Andrew Davis showed me was if you delve into the middle section there, that 40-minute interview or that 10-minute monologue or moment of teaching, the greats have a plan. They get you to the end, even if it's invisible to you. I think there are two types of formats, visible and invisible. Visible looks like the sports talk show on TV where they show you the segments right on the screen in a graphic or the podcaster who introduces each segment. Invisible is like unthinkable. I have moved you so far through four different blocks of this show that I know are in our rundown. It's invisible, you don't know what's there, but we do. And crucially, this allows us to invent with a purpose. We're not just pulling things out randomly or moving them around randomly. We have a typical plan, and then we invent and innovate off of that plan. Ours is invisible, some are visible. And this hard work of really figuring out the format is what matters more than we might give it credit for, because it's what keeps people around. It's not enough to have a clever hook, clever title, clever pitch for whatever project you're building. It's about one, thinking about how to make almost a logical lawyerly case. What questions will they have on their mind as we explore the premise of our show or newsletter or anything? And what format does that lead to? And two, going really, really specific in what you're exploring. Because sure, maybe you want some general advice, but you might need that one single moment. That has to come through in the format. So what questions will they ask to understand what you explore? And how do you lead them step-by-step from where they're at to where they want to go, to where you want them to be? How do you hold attention? Final question I have here is specific versus general idea for folks who are feeling that fear, who are like, I, I, I do want to do a newsletter like yours. I do want to do a podcast like that one. I do want to do, but I'm so afraid of anchoring to something that narrow, you know, albeit I see the benefits. It's repeatable, it's knowable, etc. But I also need to add in a section of links rounding up everything in the news. And I also need, you know, we deal with so many stakeholders, etc. What would you say to those people who are starting to talk themselves out of being more specific? I would get them to touch base with their own passions, their own excitements, their own, the things that, that they get really, really excited about, that they're partner, their husband, their wife, look at them as if to say, I can't believe you're getting this excited about that. Just kind of tap into what it feels like to 
actually obsess over something. And then when you think about that, then think about what it felt like the day that you met someone else that has that exact same, and you could talk to them about it because your husband or your wife or your partner wouldn't talk to you about it. And all of a sudden, you found someone and you click. And not only do you click, you click in the most magical way. That is only two people. But that connection between those two people is absolutely incredible. And you cannot get that same connection by being really broad, being really general, because everyone's talking about those things. And it's not hard to find insights or not hard to find people who like that. So just reconnect with a moment in your life when you felt that, when you felt that connection, you felt that commitment. Oh, these are my people. This is a person that I really, really need to spend more time with now because look at the fun we can have talking about this thing. Soon after I started Formats Unpacked, someone got in touch with me to say, I'm starting a newsletter called Tone Nub, and it's about tone of voice. And it's one of my favorite newsletters. It is absolutely amazing. And about six months after Tone Nub launched, Tone Nub inspired this other format called Brands and Humor, which is about humor in advertising, which is very similar to Formats Unpacked. And it just kind of feels like we're all absolutely nerds about these very, very specific things, but we love each other because of the work that we're doing. And so you will find your audience. If you've got an itch, if you've got a passion about something, even if your audience is just one other person, trust me, you are going to have so much more fun knowing that one person can't wait for your newsletter to arrive. Because trust me, that is what great formats do. When you cannot wait for something to arrive, that is when you know you've absolutely nailed it. And that's what you should be aiming for. When you can't wait for something to arrive, that is when you know you've absolutely nailed it. And that's what we should all be aiming for as storytellers, as masters of our craft. It is not enough to grab attention. We have to learn to hold it. Get them to the end. Oh, look at that. I guess I did. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was written and edited by me with production support from Alana Nevins. Special thanks to Hugh Gary for their creativity and generosity. If you share this show, and I hope you do, please remember to thank him too. And if you like Unthinkable, consider my free newsletter. It's called Playing Favorites, which I send out every other week with a new story and an idea to help you make things that matter. It's all about craft, creativity, resonance, and storytelling. Subscribe free at jayaconzo.com or check the link in your show notes. And also, I'm offering these coaching sessions, developing shows for creators, experts, authors, business leaders, people who have a show inside them but can't quite get it out the way that they are picturing it. I help develop your show, give you everything you need to get out the door with a trailer and three episodes and the entire documented strategy and workflow. I also offer one-hour calls to talk about something similar. So if you're interested in working more directly with me to make a show like Unthinkable but in your own way, maybe without some of the production craziness that we try, head over to jayconzo.com and click coaching or podcast development wherever you find those buttons. We're back soon with a brand new episode of the show, but until then, keep making what matters. See ya.